Hey, welcome to the latest episode of Shit We Don't Talk About, powered by Helix Interactive. Today, we're kicking off a series covering the topics of birth and death. Definitely shit we don't talk about, well, at least more transparently. My guest is Lauren Clark, also known as Dula Lowe. With her work, she's helping to bridge the gap in healing generational trauma by supporting black and brown mothers and bringing new life earthside. Tune in and learn exactly just what a birth doula is and the importance of having one. Trust me, this episode is not just for moms, so strap in, it gets good. Here we go. Hello, Dula Lo. Hello, hello. How are you? I am great. How are you? I'm excited to talk with you because this topic is just so unknown and misunderstood by so many. So thank you for sharing your journey with us and and getting us in the know about what a doula is. Of course. So tell me a little bit about you and your history of becoming one. And it's interesting because we're both Mm non-moms, but you are in this world of bringing new life into the world, which is fantastic. So tell me about it. Um, it is really something that kind of found me. Um, I think that it really, uh, used like spirit really used a lot of people as a vessel to guide me to it. Um, people always told me like, you have these maternal instincts or you're so good with babies or you're so supportive. You're so nurturing. Um, and then one day I had a friend that was like, you should really look into being a doula. And I was like, what's a doula? (laughs) First question. What's a doula? (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I researched and I was just like, wow, this sounds like like just me as an overall person already, um, I can just, you know, do the training to gain more skills around birth because I have not had my own children, but I'm an older sister. So I've seen my siblings be born. Um, so I've seen birth, I've seen pregnancy, but I've not experienced it myself. Um, so I kind of just used the experience of like what I gained as being a big sister to kind of tie into like the things I knew just to like when wanting to become a doula. Um, so. I found my training and I like happened to come across, like it all just somehow like fell into perfect alignment. Like I was looking for a a trainer. I was looking for someone that was black and looked like me and aligned with like my morals and values. And they just like fell into my lap. Like the price of the class was not terrible. It was super affordable. Um, And it was online and the days were perfect. It was just like, everything seemed to like worked out so perfectly. I did my training um, and my cohort of people that I trained with was amazing. Mm. Um, and it's and like, where was that at? Um, it was actually virtual, but it was through Dona International. Okay. Yeah. So it was through them and it was a virtual training because the pandemic had literally just kind of hit a peak. And, um, and it was originally supposed to, the training was originally supposed to be, I want to say in Trinidad. Um, and so I was like, oh, I'm going to travel to Trinidad and like train to be a doula, you know, learn the ancestral practices uh, via the Caribbean. And like, so I just thought it was just going to all be great. The pandemic, like shut all that down, but it didn't change the fact of like, once I got into the training, that's when I knew like, this is exactly what I want to do. This is perfect. Like this aligns with me in so many ways I never knew. Um, yeah. And I, and I bet timing wise, because let's face it with the pandemic, people didn't stop having sex and people yeah. <laughs> didn't stop getting pregnant. But yeah. did you, did you find when you first started looking to, into it, especially, with the black community of, of how much of a need there was for it. Like once you started coming out as a doula, was it like, yeah. Oh my God, we've been looking for you. Yeah, really. It was um like 
I realized how much of a need it was after I finished my training. And then I realized I looked back on like watching my mother go through her pregnancies and her births. And I was like, my mom could have really utilized this. Like, I think her experiences would have been a lot different. Her pregnancies, her, her births, like she gave birth in the hospital every single time. And I vaguely remember that every time that I was in the delivery room with her, that there was something about breaking her water early or inducing her or, or something, some other unnecessary intervention. Of course she was able to have like all vaginal births, no complications and things like that. But it was just like, the stress of like having all these doctors telling you things and like, she's doing this by herself and like, she just has me like, you know, mm-hmm. father's not around, you know, whatever things may be going on. Um, but she could have really used, utilized a doula. And that's kind of what really made me realize and kind of look to other women who were having those similar experiences. Um, and when I actually like started my doula business and like, you know, started promoting it, so many people that were from Michigan, which was so crazy because I had just moved to Washington. So all these people didn't <laughs> were like, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant and I'm looking for a doula and we don't have any black doulas in Michigan. And they were very scarce when I first started a couple of years ago. Um, now I actually know at least like five or six other black doulas in Michigan. And that's actually really great. So now I don't have to travel to Michigan as much, but two years ago when I first started my doula practice, it was like back to back. They were all people from Michigan that just could not find black doulas. So I knew that that was a huge gap. And then I was like, well, dang, should I move back to Michigan? But I was like, no, I <laughs> it out and that's when I was like I can become a travel doula because I go back home all the time um and so I was just like this can work and it did like all of last year I think I had about three travel I had three travel births last year um and they were all in Michigan and it was super great and so like you know what now I'm gonna hand this off to my other doulas that are in Michigan um but yeah that's also kind of how I try to bridge the gap with travel doula work is traveling to the states where there may be a lack of black and brown birth workers um, and there are people that reached out to me from different states where like, I really cannot find a black doula that aligns with me here, or you're somebody who I really, really want. And I can't find people that do the same stuff that you do. Like, so what can I do to get you here? Um, it, it really, it just, (laughs) it has like been a gap that's just been continuously bridging and I'm super happy about it. Um, so every state where more black and brown doulas become a thing that's when I can like kind of move away from those states and let those doulas like have that and really support the community. Um, yeah. And that also just keeps me from stretching myself thin. <laughs> sure. And and I want to talk about what the process is again, not being a mom. I, I don't even know. And, and I appreciate what you said about your mom, by the way, I want to acknowledge mm-hmm. that because I, I had an episode on medical gaslighting. So folks, yeah. if you think medical gaslighting is bad in general, that was just looking at from the white perspective if we look at it from a black and brown perspective, medical gaslighting, I think the numbers go up exponentially. So yeah. it, it's, yeah. it, I mean, incredibly, we're going to talk about some of those numbers too with, <clears throat> with uh, birth mortality, but can you tell us what exactly a doula does? Because that's interesting too, with the travel piece, like mm-hmm. how, how soon do you, how soon do you start? I, I just cannot tell you how fascinated I am by. Yeah. <laughs> So it's funny because I've been actually uh, talking to my my um, like mentees this week about travel doula work because some of them are trying to like open their own agencies or be travel doulas as well. And the biggest question is how you know when to get there. Um, really, really, you can get there. Uh, I always tell people, first of all, if you're going to have to fly, get a changeable flight. If you're driving, just kind of know what how far of a distance you're willing to like go. Like if you feel like you can like take somebody that's four hours away from you driving. And you feel like if they say, hey, I'm in early labor and you can get to them, do that. But um, for me, I always just like when I'm flying, I always plan to go like a week, week and a half prior to the like guest date 
for the baby. Um, it depends on also too, like if there's any medical um, things that we have to worry about with baby coming early. Um, if the family decides that they want to get induced at a certain time, that could affect me getting there for the birth. But overall, when it comes to travel births, I always have it in my contract that in the instance that I can't get to your birth, um, we automatically go to virtual support. And mm-hmm. I can, as long as I can see you, I can be your doula. Um, I can walk Good. you through everything. I can answer your questions. Um, I can help you with comfort measures. Um, I, I even have talked to people's um, hospital staff team for their birth, like via virtual, like, hey, I'm the doula. Like, you know, the nurses come and introduce themselves. and like, we're on, via Zoom and they're just coming up to the camera and just introducing themselves. So it works if you let it work. It, um, I love that phrase. It works if you let yeah. it work. And so you, yeah. I bet you you have to coach them too on, okay, put the camera down here. <laughs> Get in there. <laughs> Yeah, like prop the camera here, leave it in a space where you can maneuver it easily or it's not in the way of uh, of you or the team at all. Um, make sure that you can still see me at all times, that I can still see you. Um, a lot of times people will put it um, in a space where like I can see the bed and like maybe the door area or like it'll be kind of the other way where I can just see the bed. Um, but I've only had to do I've only had to do that three times before. Uh, well, not three. I've had two virtual births, but one I had to do because she got induced early and I had already had a ticket to get to her, but it was like for four days later. <laughs> um, so then that in that case, I just travel and do postpartum care. So I kind of do birth and postpartum with travel work. It really just depends on the circumstance. Um, and that is like in the instance of I didn't get to your birth. We had to do virtual, but I'm still flying to you because I already have my ticket. So postpartum care it is and if, that, if I'm there for a week or a week and a half and I planned it to be for your birth you get a week and a half of postpartum support so oh, you still wow. paid for um it just depends on how you know you can compensate it in different ways basically so I always have a plan on top of the plan as a travel doula <laughs> I gotcha and that, that logistics has anyone else's logistics has nothing on, on being a travel doula because I mean, you just think about the time you have everything. So tell me what the difference is or tell me what a doula does as opposed to like, let's say yeah. a birth coach or the traditional birth method, because obviously that was a pain point for you of, of being with your mom and seeing it mm-hmm. so firsthand. So you know exactly what works and doesn't work. So tell me the difference yeah. between those two. Yeah. So um, the term you'll often hear the term like doula and birth keeper used at the same time. Um, they are a little different because birth keepers are the people that are there. They may do some of the same things that doulas do. Um, there may not be as much educational piece to it, um, like mm-hmm. the informed education and knowledge around things, but they're definitely there to hold space for you at your birth, make sure that your birth space stays sacred. Um, and those things of the tradition of like just showing up and being um, that energy support. Now, the doulas are going to be giving you knowledge around anything that you have questions about childbirth, pregnancy, um, hospital birth, a home birth, um, things about your placenta, things about baby's uh, growth, wow. things about your mucus plug, things about cervical dilation. Um, so there's so many things that we can give knowledge around. And so doulas can be birth keepers. Birth keepers can be doulas. Um, sometimes you'll just hear people refer to them being one or the other. Um, or you hear birth worker, which is kind of just an umbrella term for being a midwife, a doula, traditional midwife, birth keeper, um, more of an umbrella term. But for uh, for also for doulas, we're also providing um, that physical support to that emotional support. Me, I also am providing like emotional and spiritual support. All doulas are different because there are different types of doulas. Um, and everybody's personality shows up differently in their doula work. But for me personally, like I'm the person that's going to like 
be massaging your temples while you're in labor or I'm going to be like massaging your scalp while you're in labor or rubbing your back, um, mm. laying with you, holding your hand, massaging your feet, like rubbing your leg, like anything that I can do to help you remain calm in the in the instance, like that's kind of how I approach things. And a lot of doulas do. Um, some doulas are more hands off and they just like to hold space. They don't say much. They don't do too much hands on. Um, they just like to be close and just like kind of listen to what you, you know, have to say, try to help you advocate for yourself or advocate for you, you know, things like that. So, um, yeah, that's kind of just a little difference. It's not a huge difference, but that's just mm-hmm. a little bit. <laughs> oh, it just, it sounds so delightful in the sense of, of how women are, kind of like the, almost, to me, it sounds like the the, la, the least most important thing in some ways of what is going on with them. There's just more of a, I'm going to check these boxes and this is what we do mm-hmm. when you're coming in to, to give birth. And it, it just was so normalized of, you know, being in the hospital and, and going, doing these things. And there's, there's many women that I've spoken to that have shared the, the feeling of not being heard. Yeah. Like at all during yeah. that, that whole process. And then, you know, here you are, as I like to say, snatch out <laughs> legs up who in the air the whatever's going on. And just, I mean, in the most vulnerable, vulnerable position. And mm-hmm. I'm not even sure what mucus plug means, but it sounds um, crazy. <laughs> what is that? Your mucus plug is, uh, literally, a like, a, it's a thick like plug that is going to be a barrier between the baby and like everything else outside of like your, your uterine wall mm. area. So when yeah. that is, yeah, and it grows back too. So sometimes you'll hear women say that they lost their mucus plug and you can kind of tell like if you go to the bathroom and wipe and there's like a really thick like mucus that usually is the mucus plug, mm-hmm. um, but it can often, it often does grow back. Um, and so some people have thought that that means that they're going into labor soon. It doesn't, it just means that it's just constantly trying to like shed out and maybe get prepared, but not you're going into labor. Like it's probably just getting your body prepared cervical wise. Let's see, normalizing this conversation more yeah. than anything again. And I've, I've talked about this a lot on my podcast of, again, being a non-mom society really sets up a division between women who give birth and women who don't. And it's really unfortunate yeah. and we fall for that shit a lot. And I have really made a concerted effort to be um, realizing, and it's, and you are the same, a, a matriarch without a child. Right. Yeah. And, and in this matriarchal helpful position where just because they're not my kids or I don't have them, that I can't be involved in that as well. And, and I, I really appreciate the understanding again and the normalizing mm-hmm. of this conversation. So talk to me. I love this idea about then the postpartum piece because yeah. I mean, yeah, I gotta say that society yeah. really just <laughs> makes it more of like a competition of how normal you can look after giving birth. What a oh. disservice. It's too much that like, I always tell my postpartum clients, don't look to social media to see how postpartum should look. And I often remind them too, that postpartum looks different for everybody. So what you need for postpartum, what your friend needed for postpartum may not be the same things because you have completely different bodies. You probably had completely different birth experiences. You have completely different children, like different life experiences. Um, So there's just so many things that we're like, I know social media is like our hone in area where we oftentimes like sometimes even unconsciously get influenced by what we see on social media and try to live that out. Um, But yeah, postpartum is one of those things. I mean, sometimes even a pregnancy, like people think you're just supposed to look all pretty all the time and take these beautiful pictures. And then postpartum, you're supposed to like always have on these great clothes with dress matching with your baby and, you know, make sure you're showing all the good parts of things, basically. But nobody wants to see the difficult parts. 
um, where mom is struggling to sleep, where she has to wear depends for weeks and where she has to wait a while to take a bath. And when she's yeah. struggling to sleep, um, and when she's just like having her really low moment, cause she's like, how am I adjusting to this schedule that my new baby is on? Um, how am I like, you know, the, just the intrusive thoughts of like, am I a good mother? How do I do this with like, did I make it make a mistake or, um, am I being a good mother for my child or am I doing this right? Am I doing this wrong? Like all of the things that come with being a parent, especially a first time parent, um, it just gets swept up under the rug. And so postpartum is such a huge part because all of the things that you may have missed in pregnancy, um, will often show up then. So like, um, yeah. So like if you're having, so like any like health issues, like could, could possibly resurface, like preeclampsia postpartum is very, very common. People think preeclampsia only shows up um, in pregnancy, but can actually show up in postpartum too. So that's why making sure your blood pressure is good. Um, making sure you're not having heavy bleeding, uh, making sure that like, you know, your diet is good, your water intake is good. Uh, making sure you're not like feeling dizzy or lightheaded and seeing spots often through the day. Um, or just like feeling so fatigued or feeling like nauseous all the time or like feeling like your heart rate is all always up um, mm-hmm. or have lots of sweats, like little things that like are super important that should really get checked out sooner. Um, and that is oftentimes why we are having that that mortality rate for black and brown births being so like just crazy um, because we're also not catching the things that are happening in postpartum as well. Right. Um, and or not with, even being asked the questions or know the questions to ask. Exactly. Like, all exactly. those things you just, and, yeah. and what do they call that? Dula low. Is that called like the fourth? The, the, the fourth the, thank yes. you. I did. I want to say, cause I fourth, fourth and tried, you know, kind <laughs> yes, of counteract each other, but I <laughs> recently just heard that. And I was like, well, that makes yeah. so much sense of yeah. that because it's more like the minute that baby's out, you know, just like pro-lifers and how they are like, they're all pro-uterus. Don't get me started. <laughs> Now you know where I stand, um, <laughs> but that it's just this, these very segmented off sections. Yeah. And I cannot imagine the isolation that people feel, um, yeah. e- either uh, couples or just w- the, the mother alone of, of like, wait, what you're now, what do I do? Yeah. Yeah. And that often ties into, to knowing how fathers show up in that role too. Um, that's why I'm glad that there's a lot of, uh, what are called dad doulas, um okay. so men that have either gone through doula training to like to figure out how to best support their own partner or, or other women um or doulas or dads have become doulas just to be able to train other dads and how to be support so i think that's super important too because we do sweep men under the rug when it comes to um how this how the process of birth and postpartum and things affect them because it does yeah. I mean, that's really like though that's your seed together so the energy is tied to both of you so the energy of raising this seed up to blossom into the beautiful flower that it's going to be is going to take energy from both parents. So when mom is having these heavy cravings during pregnancy, dad might be just eating along with her. Dad's gaining that pregnancy weight too. <laughs> when mom is stressed out, dad is trying to you know, pull the weight and figure out what can he do to make her feel better. When the baby is there, if mom's not waking up, dad's waking up. If mom is not going to work for a while to take care of baby, breastfeed and do whatever else, dad's the one that's working. He's the breadwinner for whatever time being. So, you know, there's it is a two-way street for, for both parents being drained or exhausted or tired or both needing support. Um, so whenever I do postpartum visits, I, I know I check in with mom, I check in with baby, how's breastfeeding going, how, or if you're formula feeding, you know, how's feeding going in general, um, how are your appointments? Have you, you know, been talking, like a lot of the people I ask them, are you in therapy? Um, have you felt like you needed a therapist or where's your mental state at if they're not in therapy? Um, 
a lot of my moms though do end up going into therapy um, in their postpartum just to make sure their mental health stays in a good place or if they just feel like it's depleting uh, or they're just having lots of triggers and things. So that's oftentimes something um, I, and I keep a resource list of therapists too for mental health and, and postpartum that are specialized in like talking to moms that are struggling in their postpartum period. Um, but yeah, I always make sure to check in then like, hey, dad, how are you feeling? How's your mental health doing? Have you been sleeping well? Um, how are you showing up for her to help her uh, be affirmed in her new postpartum body? Um, how are you feeling adjusting to the new schedule for baby? So I, it's a it's a conversation I have with both parents. I don't just come to postpartum visits and focus on the baby or just focus on mom. I focus on the whole family because it's a big, it, it's all a unit. So I focus on the whole family and postpartum. Well, you got to my next question. So thank you for, for even just jumping in for, I wanted to say, how can we get men involved in, and to not feel isolated? Because again, with social conditioning, same thing. I mean, from way back in the day, I was just watching the the show of the, the one about, um, Lucille Ball, and they were they were addressing when she got pregnant, and how at that time in the '60s they're like, "Wait, what do you mean she's going to be pregnant on the show?" I mean, it was just unthinkable. And they were like, well, "What about the two beds?" And so this conditioning from way way back has pushed men off to the side, so they don't even know how to enter into this world as well. So thank you for being so so thoughtful in that and and normalizing this. And it sounds like too, and we were talking about this just the pregnancy without even other kids yet. So then when you evolve that, this is not the first birth, like there's just, I can see how important involving everyone is. Yeah, it it is. Um, even if I can get like grandmas, aunties, moms, dads, like, you know, cause yes. a lot of like, you're going to want the grandma and the grandfather there too. So they're going to want to know how to support you as well. And oftentimes our elderly community goes to supporting the baby first. Um, and that's just something that is ingrained in our um, our baby boomers' brains <laughs> is to focus on the baby. So they oftentimes have a hard time knowing how to show up for the mom as well. It's like yeah. the mom doesn't take the baby. She needs you to like, you know, come give her a hug too, cook her some food, bring her some groceries, like ask her how she's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, let her get spend, a nap, get some sleep. Yeah. yeah, let her go have a good shower or soak in a nice bath or something, or you know, just don't just focus on the baby basically. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I think it's super important to get everybody involved. Even during prenatal visits, I try and get like the families involved. Like if you're going to be learning how to do this, this is when you can do this, or this is how you can support doing comfort measures, or this is how you can support in labor. Um, and I have like families, like we'll do like basically a group practice session where they, where I demonstrate how to do the different comfort measures. And then they can come and practice with, with the mom and they can all kind of like get a feel and bond together in that. So super important to have everybody involved because it's a village. So <laughs> let's face it. This is nothing new. This has been centuries and, and mm-hmm. just from, from way back in millennia, it just got conditioned out of us. Let's say in the last 150 years, quite frankly, right. Very true. Very, that, very true. that got normalized out. Cause I have a feeling there's a history that, that we don't know about. And we need to know about. <laughs> um, of course there is a history that um, is not very talked about mm-hmm. when it comes to birth work. Um, birth work started with black and brown folks, whether you were native American, African, or uh, Latin or Hispanic, those are, those are where the village mindset of birth work started. So where people were giving birth in home, and where they had, you know, the village midwife and whoever other women of support just gathering around, giving them water, feeding them food, 
Um, you know, all just the things you just talked about with all, this all the things postpartum. Yes. literally is, um, and that's in prenatal, that's in postpartum, that's you know during labor and delivery. Um, and so that's where it started. And for me, I've just always wanted to get back to that because when I came into the field, I realized how many white birth workers there were, and it was just like overpowering to where it's like, and then you see that some of the people are in the work for the wrong reasons. Um Yes. And for me, that's what I was like, I want to get back to the practice that aligns with me. And my roots are African and native. Um, and my father's side, a little bit of Latin, but I try to incorporate literally all of my background into it. So mm-hmm. anything that I do is more so ritualistic and spiritual based. Okay. Um, that's that's how I look at things. Um, and in African culture, um, it's like the the sacredness of birth work is way different than what it looks like in Western culture is to say the least. Um, and so I just try to get to my, my practices of using certain herbs, um, using certain like postpartum methods, mm-hmm. using certain foods in postpartum or in prenatal, um, doing different things, like even singing different songs, like during prenatal or during labor or as a ritual after baby is born, different chants and stuff like there, there are things that I can't necessarily specify because they are rituals yeah. um, and they're sacred rituals. So I can't share details, but yeah, um, I, pre- I appreciate you keeping that. That That's the point of sacred, right? Is, is keeping yes. it to that specific one, but just knowing about it is fantastic. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So I definitely, um, tie in my roots into my doula work because that is just basically how I authentically show up in the work. Um, and that's how I call my ancestors back into the space of guide us back into the traditions and sacredness of this work. Um, so I, that's, (laughs) that's my take on it. And everybody's different. Like I'm, I'm more holistic and spiritual with my take. There are some people who are more, um, medical Mm -hmm. and that's who there are some people who are on balance. Um, I personally am not, I'm not against medical interventions. I think that they're often used too frequently, unnecessarily. Too quickly. Um, And there are alternatives that are holistic and natural that can also be put in place. Um, And I think that that just gets pushed out from the medical side where it's like, we don't talk about holistic remedies. We just only give you medication. Um, So I do appreciate the people that are balanced, but I do think that, um, the extreme medical interventions and just medical use in general towards pregnancy is super, super unnecessary because it's not a medical emergency. Like you're bringing life into the world. Being pregnant is not a disability. Giving birth is not a medical emergency. Um, It's one of those things where it's like the conditioning that has happened in Western culture has stripped us of the the traditions that are actually tied to birth work. Um, And that's why I do exactly what I do because all the things that I do um, are traditional. They are sacred. They, um, they are part of the roots. So. Oh, so well said traditionals. It's it's getting rid of the, what we thought was traditional and bringing Mm -hmm. in that sacred, which is so important to me. I I was doing a little bit of digging before we, we got on here. And, you know, again, these numbers of overall pregnancy related mortality is at an average rate. And this is in us is this, what we think is this well, Mm-hmm. well-rounded country, an average rate of 17.2 deaths per 100,000, but that number jumps to 43 per mm-hmm. 100,000 at for non-Hispanic Black women and decreases to 12.7. So the difference between 43.5 and 12.7 between non-Hispanic Black women and non-Hispanic white women, I mean, that number, that's why you're doing what you do. Yeah, it's very astronomical. The gap is, 
the gap is there when you're when you're actually like doing the research because some people don't need that gap is so invisible to a lot of people mm-hmm. um that they don't even think about of uh, like a lot of white birthers may not even think of is my experience different from the black and brown birthers that are giving birth in the, maybe the same hospital that I'm giving birth in right now what are sure. what are their experiences looking like as opposed to mine right now um and a lot of like the medical interventions that are pushed on black and brown birthers are seen far, far, far less for white birthers. And those are things that people just don't know because we all think that the medical providers that are in the hospitals or wherever else are the say all be all. And that's not true because they also have a lot of lack of education and information as well. Um, like a lot of providers don't have like an- enough lactation um, training. That's something that they do not. At, at all prioritized and so if you don't have if you're at giving birth at a hospital that does not have lactation consultants and you're listening to a provider that has literally no lactation training or experience or anything they could be giving you completely wrong information which then is harmful to your breastfeeding experience so you sure. see how it kind of down so so what your like who your provider is what they know their intentions like how they how they maneuver their procedures and protocols and policies are super super important because you can just get some super, super harmful providers and completely not even be aware of that what they're doing is harmful because we're so trained to believe that because somebody went to school for X amount of time and they have they have doctor in front of their name and PhD at the end, it's like those are the people that we have to turn to. Those are the people that are going to save our life. But the problem is that those people are not saving black and brown birthers. They are leaving them to die. They are not taking their, their needs seriously. They're not listening to them. They're not advocating for them. Um, the medical negligence is so high because there's so many prejudices and stigmas against how black and brown birthers, you know, their pain tolerance or, you know, the how they how they give birth or not even just not even knowing the things that are specific to black and brown birthers that are different from white birthers and knowing how to tell those differences, just the the complete bias of not even knowing. So yeah, it's 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 deep, but this is exactly what I do the work and many others like me. This is why we do it. So, and that's why I wanted to ask you these questions because folks, if you're listening to this and you think that people leave their prejudice and racism at the door, when it comes to medical, you are so, so, so wrong. So asking questions, pardon. No, I was going to say, if you haven't heard about medical kidnapping, I would say research it. Um, Cause that's a whole thing that I could get into, but in the last, in the last some years, like so many uh, specifically black birthers have been getting their children stolen from them. Wow. Like literally like the CPS system being called for just no other reason besides that they didn't want to follow hospital protocol, like getting a COVID test or getting COVID vaccine or getting their child tested or getting their child a vaccine or um, even as simple as not signing a birth certificate. You don't have to sign a birth certificate at a hospital. Wow. You you have the right to you have the right to legally decline anything that hospitals offer you. And I say hospitals because birthing centers and home birth are obviously very, very different. Hospitals mm-hmm. is where corporate the corporate medical negligence happening because of the providers that are in hospitals and the infrastructure of hospitals. They were they were founded upon racism. They were built on racism. Hospitals didn't even allow black and brown people in the hospitals for a very long time. So wow. hospitals always made to take care of white people. And that is why we still have the gap where they're not taking care, taking good care of black and brown people, um, even Amen. outside labor and delivery, just in general, like you can go to a hospital and feel like you're having a heart attack and they're like, oh, no, we're just going to send you home. And next thing you know, you're having a stroke. Like, yeah, so 
Thank you for that. It's such an important rabbit hole because that's two things we can look up of what you just mentioned. And y'all, if you even Google J. Marion Sims, who is James Marion Sims, who's the American physician, who's the father of modern gynecology, mm-hmm. the most racist motherfucker in the world. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I just went there. So okay. folks- hey. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know I'm not telling you anything new. And I, I just want to I, I want to open people's minds to looking beyond your own experience. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that's on so many different levels. Let's talk real quick. I know we're, we covered racial disparity and, and really I'm going to put a, a ton of links in here, too. I want to finish it up with what are some of your favorite modalities, because I think this yeah. is so fun to, to explore things that people don't know about because we've given you all a lot of information that I know is overwhelming, but you, you need to know in order to support not only someone who's giving birth or yourself, but, but, you know, really start participating in the rest of the world. Yeah. But let's talk about some of your favorite modalities. And then I want to see, let people know how they can reach out to you and, and potentially yeah. work with you. Well, I really can't say that I have a favorite because everything about what I do is just my baby. Your like, favorite. Love- yeah. It's- I hold it dear to my heart because it just, it, it took some building, like as far as like showcasing it to people and actually like seeing if people are interested in them. But um, like perinatal yoga and meditation, an absolute fave for sure, because mm-hmm. just of like the feedback that I get from people on that, um, especially if they've been having like a hard time, like struggling mentally or emotionally, um, that time to just meditate and do some yoga is often very good. If there are people who are trying to get back into the yoga practice after pregnancy, um, that's really great. I often do it with people who are like just preparing for birth. And a lot of the poses are great for preparing your body for birth, getting your hips open, getting your core strong, um, strengthening your opening your legs, um, anything like that. So definitely a fave. Um, my herbal care, I would say, is a is a is a smooth second runner up because herbal care is so, so dear to me because it takes a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned herbalism from my grandmother, my Walitha. Um, I learned that from her. Um, and then I went on to take like a course just to kind of learn some stuff that maybe she didn't cover. And there were just some, you know, there were some different herbs that I didn't know about some different things, like as far as like making tinctures or like balms or salts, like stuff that I didn't learn from her necessarily. Um, but I was able to learn that via like taking my course. And then like, I got certified in that, although I wasn't looking to be certified, I got certified as an herbalist. Um, and you so, cannot get any more anti-Western than that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that is, that is some serious, that goes against the grain so much. And I, I think that there's, there's so much work to, to not have that heard because they know, I mean, I mean big yeah. pharma, big pharma hates that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was like, I haven't, I haven't used medication for anything in quite some time. Cause I just mm-hmm. go to cabinet and just make something up. Like I haven't even been sick in the last couple years. Girl, you're never. ready for the zombie apocalypse. Right. Let's just like, I've it. never had COVID. Like I'm just like, I'm just gonna stick to my herbal care. So it's definitely mm. a top, a top second one for me. Um another one I would say is definitely um my rituals and blessings for the mothers. Um my mother's blessings ones are so so fun because they look different for everybody. Um, for some people, they may want to be fed fruit while they let their feet soak. Some people may want to be like blessed with waist beads and have um, a crystal grid surrounding them to, you know, energy charging. Um, some people may just want to like sip tea and like just, you know, talk about whatever is like on their mind and their heart. Uh, 
some people may want to just like do like a potluck and have different people come and they all just share different experiences of birth or postpartum um, that are obviously positive and can benefit the birther. Not any horror stories <laughs> or fear mongering, but <laughs> yes, yes, um, definitely a fave. Um, the rituals, of course, of like protection ritual for the mom and baby, um, a cleansing ritual for the mom, womb healing for the mom. Um, a lot of the womb healing ceremonies lead to a lot of crying because we hold a lot in our womb space. That's where we hold all of our sensuality, our emotions, um, our traumas, our past, our present, our future. That's where we hold everything, especially as women, because we bring life into the world. So past, present and future exists in our womb. Um, I'm a big appreciator of the sacral chakra for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that creation energy center and chakra are so important. Um, and those are like, those are the focuses when you're, when you're pregnant, because those are what is surrounding baby for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. So even those, those womb healings and let, letting women connect back to themselves, especially if they've had a traumatic birth, that mm-hmm. connecting back to their womb space can be very difficult. Um, and it can take yeah. some time because like sometimes they even have a hard time like looking at their body. Like if they've had a traumatic birth that led to a C-section, they may have a hard time looking at their scar without breaking down or being yeah. able to look at their body naked and just feel okay. Or maybe sometimes they're just like, feeling like they didn't really have a happy birth experience or like they really like brought their baby into the world the way they wanted to. And that could bring a lot of like regrets and despise mm-hmm. and all the things. So um, definitely that is a big one, the the uh, rituals and the blessings. So yeah, those are some of my faves. <laughs> I love it. And you, you brought up waist speed. So I, everybody go to the links that we'll have in the show notes too. You know, Dulalo, I feel like you are creating a next generation of healing or, or a, a new thing of healing generational trauma. Yeah. I, I oh, really thank do it. Thank I you do, so much. <laughs> yes, because I, I feel like that that in itself, I mean, I'm 56, almost 57, and I've had conversations with my mom about who's 81 about the trauma of our births and then you know, giving birth in the 60s and, and how misunderstood oh, yeah. she was. So, so what you're doing is so important to just... Yeah. Set this new next gen. So thank you for what you do. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to be able to like talk about this stuff. I mean, the doula work is my baby. So I could talk about <laughs> I'm so passionate about it. It's my heart. And so it's my livelihood. Like I'm always that's what I can talk about all the time. So <laughs> and that is shit we don't talk about. So I appreciate you. How do we find you? Um, so my website, you can find me at lowholistics.com. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at low.holistics. That's also the same for my Facebook. Um, and you'll also see my link tree, which connects you to all other links for me via my um, Instagram. So yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening. Make sure to check out the show notes and connect with Lo on all of her channels. Shit We Don't Talk About is a production of Helix Interactive. And if you like this episode, please do all the things. Subscribe, give it a heart, give it a like, whatever, thumbs up, follow, and leave a review, especially if it's a good one. If you really like the podcast and you want to show it, head on over to shitwedonttalkaboutpodcast.com, click on the patrons button, and become a full-time supporter of the podcast. And if you want your very own podcast, and who doesn't, but you don't know where to start, go to helix-interactive.com and get yourself some. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Bye.